the judgment of God. I want to ask you a question in light of the passage, our passage today that our elder Scott LeGraff read for us. Is it good for God to keep His Word? That's a reflex. We would probably say most of us in this room are believers in Christ, some of us not yet. But I want to ask you a question. Is it good that the Creator and Sustainer of life would keep His Word? Is that a good thing? And if that's a good thing that God indeed is the one who keeps His Word, then in Genesis chapter 12, when He promised to Abraham that He would bless those who blessed Him and curse those who cursed Him, what we see in the plagues is the detailed fulfillment of God's promises. You see, some when the first reading or if they're new to the faith, and even those of us that have known the Lord for many years, we can read accounts like this in the Passover and we can see the severity of God's judgment. The firstborn of all of the houses of Egypt, of all of them, some of those firstborn would have been babies. And even the livestock that they will die at Israel's exit. We read of Noah, and we see that God brought a, a judgment upon the earth of this flood that kills everyone but the remnant. And we can read of the stories and the accounts, and some will take a position to say, well, you know, they didn't entirely. And, 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 and as Israel is going to exit, they're going to go into the promised land of Canaan, and they're going to exterminate and commanded to exterminate the seven nations that are in the land. And some will look at that and say, yeah, but, but they don't really do all of that. As though to try to soft-pedal God's judgment and wrath and holiness and what they miss and what we can miss in a response like that is that God is holy and just and He is good to keep His Word. He promised Abraham in Genesis 12 that covenant that He would bless those who bless and curse those who curse. And in these things this morning, we're going to see a number of the more purposes that the Lord works through each of those two components. The strikes against Egypt, the swinging of the sword that comes with it on one side of the blade, the blessing, and on the other side a cursing. And in the blessing and cursing, God will bring a manifold number of purposes. Purposes that we'll see in the book of Acts will lead to many of Israel coming to deliverance. Not deliverance from captivity from the Egyptians, but delivery, delivery from sin and death. That's the greatness of our God. He is a God who keeps His Word perfectly. Do you know Him? If you don't know Him, what a day to come to know His faithfulness. For He keeps His Word, and He's good to bless and to curse. Amen? Good to bless and to curse. Number one, let's look at this as we unpack both of these understandings, that God is just and righteous to keep His Word, which leads to blessings and cursings and fulfilling the promise that He made to Abraham. And of course, in that promise to Abraham, there will be a seed that will come through whom all the families of the earth will find blessing. That seed we know is the promised Christ, Jesus but let's look first as we see that the Lord is just to keep His Word and bless His chosen people. Verses 1 through 3. We unpack this in two ways. We see in the first portion, all the way through the first half of verse 3, that the Lord redeemed the image of His people throughout the land of Egypt. 
The Lord redeemed the very image, the reputation of Israel. We see that in verse 3, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. This final plague, this strike against Egypt, will be a component of redeeming Israel's image in Egypt and through all the land. You remember Israel has been in slavery for a number of generations. Over 400 years they've been in the land. Their reputation among the Egyptians have been of lesser people. Possessions. Pharaoh, we know, has already noted that Egypt is perhaps, or that Israel is untrustworthy. He believes that the Israelites are his people, his possession for his purposes and his glory throughout all of Egypt. But the Lord will redeem the very image of God's people making clear that those are His people for His possession and His purposes, not Pharaoh's. And that image will be redeemed throughout all of the earth. As we unpack this, we see God's purposes are working. Now, there's a number of components. If, and one of, a challenge, a very practical challenge I want to give you, one of the sweet joys of walking through Scripture verse by verse, again, is that we're able to look, rather than at the whole forest, we did an overview sermon, but if, especially if this is one of your first Sundays with us, you're saying, okay, where are we at right now? So we're able to go and look at some of the leaves. But I think it's so important on a time like this, if, as we've been a couple months now in the book of Exodus, I want to challenge you to read through the book of Exodus again on your own this week. Read through the whole book of Exodus. Read through it or use a, a, a U version, a Bible app. You can click play on there and you can listen to it at two times speed, maybe 1.375, whatever speed you want to listen to it, all right? I listen to two speed and I can't follow anything. Uh, but I listen to it a little quicker than one. And you can get through the whole book of Exodus in pretty good time. So one of, a challenge to you would be in your commute, anytime you're driving this week, just listen to the book of Exodus, chapter by chapter by chapter. And as you read through and as you listen through, what I want to encourage you to listen for is all the things that God says that He does and is going to do, and then the things that He tells Moses to do. And now in this text, the thing He tells Israel to do. And what we'll see on this side, all the things that God does, it's this huge mountain of things that He's going to do. And on this side, the things that He asks Israel to do are really to trust that God is going to do all the things that He's going to do. But there are some things that God tells them to do. So in this list, this command that he's, He gives them, He tells them, Speak now, Israel, in the hearing of the people. And you're going to tell them, Moses, you're going to tell Israel to do this. You're going to tell them to go and to knock on their neighbor's doors who are not equals to them. They're their masters and superiors. And you're going to ask them to give you, not their old flip-flops, for the journey ahead of wilderness as you're going to exit after this 10th plague, you're going to ask them for what? Their precious silver and gold. Their family heirlooms. Now, if you're Israel, imagine we're the Israelites. Have we actually heard from the Lord ourselves yet? Have we seen the pillar of fire at night and cloud by day? Have we seen that yet? No. Who's the only person that's articulated the Word of God for us? Moses and his older brother Aaron. 
And now we've seen the result of the plagues. We can't explain it. And this is Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God. But we've never seen Him ourselves yet. And thus far, we've been told what to do, and we've done it, and we've been protected. We've seen the hailstorms pound the ground and kill a number of the masters of Israel, of, that, of Egypt that have ruled over Israel. We've seen Him work, but we've never actually heard Him ourselves. We've only heard His Word by His messenger, His deliverer, Moses. And so I want you to imagine the anxiety that we would feel right now as the Israelites, that we're going to have to go and ask them for their personal gold. And we don't have an army. We don't have weaponry. We have no power. And a number of these plagues could have put our masters in very bad moods. But now we're going to go ask them for what? Their personal valuables? Remember, Egypt's over a thousand years older than Israel at this point, at a minimum. Imagine, passed down from generations, how many of you have jewelry from a parent or grandparent that's been passed down? Raise your hand. Let's see that. Very good. Now, put that in the offering as a gift to us. No, that's not the case. Everyone's got you. All right. Keep an eye on me, okay? But many of you have lost, perhaps, some of these priceless things you would never give away. But as you've lost it, your heart perhaps has ached as you've forgotten it. Egypt, their economy will recover in a couple generations. But they're going to forever remember what's happened to their precious gold and silver. God will use it as a lasting testimony that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God. For when they go and remember the necklace or the ring that was passed down for generations and generations, we gave it to the Israelites without a single sword strike because their God took our firstborn. Their God is the true God. Not our God of the Nile, not Ra, not any of the gods of Egypt, not even Pharaoh, our man-God. Their God is the true God. God and His gracious kindness provides Israel an opportunity to demonstrate and exercise faith. He's going to do the changing of the hearts of the Egyptians. There's no way this plan can fail. And yet, Israel's charged to demonstrate faith. How does that meet you this morning? Believer, how does that meet you this morning? And how the Lord is placed upon your heart to trust Him, to forgive the disciple, to reach out, to give, to connect, to make yourself vulnerable, to invest of your lives, your very time in His purposes. To exercise faith in the calling of God upon your life. And to those that don't yet know Christ, this God is worth your life. He's greater than all the purposes and all the beings of the universe. He's worthy. He's faithful to His promises. So how wise and kind of our God to give this Word that will comfort His people upon the act that's going to come. He tells them, I will give them favor. This leads secondly into the final part of verse 3 that not only will the Lord rehabilitate and restore the image of His people not as those who are captives, but rather those who are a special people for the Lord's purposes. And that by faith, even the Egyptians can come into this blessing of purposes and go out of Egypt with them in faith. 
But second, the Lord redeemed the image of His people's deliverer throughout Egypt. You see that at the end of verse 3? How kind is our God? Let me read it again for you at the end of verse 3. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. Do you remember what Moses' reputation was when he was in Egypt on his own volition to begin with? How did he leave Egypt? Did he leave Egypt great? He left Egypt in shame. The Pharaoh put a hit out on him. Kill him if you see him kill him. He was in Egypt's most wanted list. And what was his reputation before Israel? Shame. He tried to lead a revolt and lead Israel out of captivity. And what did the Israelites do? They saw that he was unjust and he, he went above and beyond and he struck the Egyptian, killing the Egyptian that was abusive toward the Israelite. And he tries to break up these two Israelite men that are fighting. And what, that, what happens when he breaks them up? What are you going to do to us? Kill us like you did that Egyptian and buried over there? He's shamed by Israel and he is shunned by Egypt and he flees. And now what do we see as he's trusted in the slow promises of God? His heart wavering and yet him being faithful to do what God's asked him to do. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. God had redeemed his story. Aren't you grateful that we worship the redeeming God? A God that can take a story of shame and of sin. God can take those that have committed abortions and cover them in grace and love and forgiveness and restore them and rest in the promises and the faithfulness of God to rest in the atoning work of Christ, to adopt them as sons of the Most High. God takes the image of Moses throughout all the land and in love He restores him. So much so that even the servants of Pharaoh will bow before him. That's how great our God is. How does that meet you this morning, that God's plans are so much better than the best of plans that we could draw up? You remember what Moses' plan was? He was going to buy sword with a Brad Pitt-like storyline, lead forward Israel from captivity. He was 40 years old. He was handsome, the text tells us. Not only was he handsome, but he had the education of Pharaoh's own household. But yet, not God's timing and not God's will. Rather, he'll come back into the land as a much weaker 80-year-old man. And God will work his purposes. That that Brad Pitt-like Moses will not experience the credit and the glory. Because they're not Moses' people. They're Yahweh's people. And God always keeps his promises by blessing and by curses. What a story arc. What a faithful God we serve. He's worthy of your life. If you don't know Him, you can mark that on a Connect card where it says, how can we serve you? Just say, I want to know Jesus. I want to follow Him. I want to trust Him. Or if there's a prayer request that you have, would you pray for me in this? I'm struggling with this. We want to be faithful to minister to you and help you in your next steps that God has before you. But the Lord would lead Israel free from captivity without a single strike, and I would argue with less bloodshed 
than there would have been if Moses would have been successful in his own vision. So first, the Lord is just to keep His Word and bless. Amen? Amen means that's the truth. That's the truth. So is it true that the Lord is just to keep His Word and bless? Do we agree with that? If He's just to keep His Word to bless, then He is just to keep His Word to curse. It leads us to secondly in verses 4-10. through 10, We see as this unplays, the Lord is just to keep His Word and curse those who curse Abraham, the children of His chosen people. Verses 4-7, through seven, we, we note two components of this. The first, that clarity is kindness. I love that saying. Clarity is kindness. The plagues brought such clarity to the identity of the true God and His people that even the animals understood. Clarity is kindness. Egypt has already witnessed that many of the plagues, as you recall, have only impacted Egypt. Israel has been shielded from the plagues. But Egypt has not. And even those in Egypt that we saw with the, with the plagues of the hail, those that begin to fear God and to take refuge, they were also protected. Interesting. But now this plague, this tenth climactic plague, will be so great. And next week, by the way, as we observe the Lord's Supper together on the last Sunday of every month, it's going to be a special Sunday in which we're actually going to be in the text of the Passover. And Jesus takes this text and He says, you now, my disciples, you'll now do this in remembrance of Me. The covenant, the new covenant made in His blood. And we're told that we're to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. It's going to be a sweet, sweet Sunday. And part of what we're going to note next week as the Lord gives this command for Israel to observe the Passover every year in this feast, He says, when your kids... Listen to this. When your kids see you do this act of service, and they say, Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, why do we do this? That you'll be able to tell them of the working of God. And so that's why we keep, even though it may be some wiggles around the room, that's why we ask our kids to join us for family service. We want those kids to look and to lean over to you and say, Hey, why do you do this? God has evangelistic purposes that are greater than even the most rational and logical human minds today can ever conceive. That's what God does here. Clarity is kindness. There's a clear cutting that takes place. And God's judgment is impartial. True justice is impartial. Lady justice, that image, is she peeking through the blindfold? You know the image of Lady Justice with the scales? She's blindfolded. God is perfectly just. And all come short of the glory of God. From the one of us that has lived the most clean of resumes to the one that has lived the most corrupt, we all are equal in our coming short of the glory of God. None of us have pleased a holy, righteous God. And the Lord says in this plague of the striking of Egypt, from Pharaoh's house, the most influential house in Egypt to the least influential house, the, the house of the servant girl in Egypt who has to work the mill. Each of them will experience the heartache of this plague because God is just and impartial. No wink, no payment, no influence from Pharaoh's house will bring him a lesser judgment. God is just and perfectly impartial. 
That's the goodness of our God. It's the clearest picture imaginable for Egypt. Because Israel will no longer be among them, they'll remember the testimony of who the true God is. None of the gods of Egypt, but the one true God. For His people will be led free in such a way that the dogs, we're told, will not even growl. Do you remember we said the anxieties that Israel had? Not only are you going to knock on the door of your neighbor and ask for their precious personal jewelry of gold and silver, but also on your way out the door, the people in those homes will have the firstborn die. People, when we grieve, we can easily act irreasonably, correct? Lash out in anger and all number of responses. Imagine you're an Israelite and now you hear this second bit of news that not only are we going to leave, but it's not like it's going to be a sunny day with the birds chirping. It's going to be a night of mourning and screaming of grief-filled parents and grandparents throughout Egypt. But what does God's Word do to comfort His people? He tells them, don't you worry. Not even the hungry dogs. And the New King James picks up the Hebrew, the most clear, the most literal. Not even the hungriest of dogs will stick their tongue out at you. Our translations say, they're not even going to growl. Because it's going to be so clear that you are God's possession. They are God's possession. It's all God's. So not only will the dog that's guarding not growl because he's the master taking out his people, but also the hungry dog will not even lick their tongue out to try to bite you or harm you. You are that protected because you're in the promised hand of God. Keep a text like that in mind when we read, believer, that in Jesus Christ, you are hidden in Christ and Christ hidden in God. Will believers suffer? Of course. Will we experience heartache? Of course. But nothing that comes in our life will be outside the good providence and kindness of our God to craft us the hands of the potter into the image of Christ. That's how great our God is. Very much Egypt is learning Job 121. Write down that reference of Job 121. In Job 121, as you recall, this is the account in which Job is experiencing the heartache of having lost his children. And all of his possessions. And what does he cry out to God? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord, Yahweh. That's what Israel and Egypt are going to see in this. That's how great our God is. The Lord kept his word to Abram to curse those who curse the Lord's people. It is a God's cursing of judgment that brings this gracious clarity of who are His. Are you His? And if you're His, let that move you to joy because His Word is trustworthy. Build your life upon it. That's what Jesus says. Build your life upon His Word, the rock, and no storm will lead you to collapse. But all the other foundations are as sand. They will erode away and wither. But Christ is a sure foundation. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen means that's the truth. Agreement. You got me, Jerome. All right. This leads us finally as we unpack this in verses 8 through 10. 
that the Lord even used the curses to further fulfill His promise to bring His people toward their promised land. Not only did the Lord bring judgment and cursing upon Egypt for their judgment, Pharaoh's judgment against God, but He fulfills multiple purposes in doing so. It's in His cursing of Egypt that it brings forward His fulfillment to Moses that He would indeed lead the people free, but also His fulfillment to Abraham, a promise that He made hundreds of years earlier. Again, when we see that the, the judgment that God brings has so many missional purposes, I mean, that, that, is a, that is like a warm blanket. It is so beautiful for the believer. This jewel of joy right before us, we need to observe this. And so what we see is, it's not that they're going to have to fight their way out by sword, but God's judgment is so precise and it's such the perfect time that Israel will be like the Coke in the Mentos Coke challenge. And every little plague is like another Mentos that's taped to the top of the bottle. And the tenth one is dropped in, it's sealed and shaken and slammed to the ground. And what will happen? Egypt themselves will shoot out Israel from their midst. They will bow at the feet of Moses. They will humiliate Pharaoh and stop bowing to him. And they will bow at the feet of this 80-year-old deliverer because they know that his God is the true God, not their gods. Even in judgment and the cursings of God, he works a beautiful missional purpose. His way is always the better way. Now these are Moses' last words to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's already given his last words in 1028. You can write that down as a little reference, as a reminder, or write back up in your Bible and circle 1028. Remember what Pharaoh's last words were to Moses? When I see you again, I'm going to kill you. You better hope your God goes with you because you're going to need him. That's a summary. And how does Moses leave Pharaoh? With his tail between his legs? No. It says that he leaves him with anger. He says in verse 8, And all these your servants shall come down to me, and they will bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he will go out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Righteous anger. Our marriage conference this weekend, we're going to get those videos up posted for you. we got handouts for those as well if you missed that time together. One of the things that we noted together was righteous anger and selfish anger. Moses here is an example of righteous anger. Righteous anger. For Pharaoh's hardening of heart. He leaves in righteous anger. And it leads forward this understanding that the Lord used even the curses to fulfill God's promise back in Genesis 12. God was so merciful and patient, listen, that He allowed 400 years of the Canaanites to sacrifice children in worship to their gods. 400 years of horrific sin the Lord tolerated before He would bring His judgment by providentially bringing Joseph into the land of Egypt to bring blessing to the nations. But when Egypt would eventually forget their God and harden their heart, God would then bring the strike of judgment upon Egypt 
that would lead forward to fulfill His promises to lead Israel out of captivity and into the land. And this would bring deliverance to even many Egyptians that will come to believe. And in even a greater way throughout history, this is how great our God is. Flip over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. This is unbelievable. If you're new to Scripture, I encourage you to start reading. Get involved with a small group. Let us teach you how to read Scripture. You can't make this up. The threads through Scripture, 40 different authors, three different languages, multiple different continents, and yet the unified story and the thread of redemption and all the purposes are unbelievable. Watch what God does. He uses this thread of redemption in bringing Israel from captivity in the Exodus. And now we fast forward over a thousand years later and He brings this man named Paul to Christ. And in Acts chapter 13, after Jesus had been crucified, He appeared to Paul and He commissions him. We have this account in Acts chapter 13 in which He's telling people about Jesus in these synagogues. Now remember, synagogues were like churches spread out all over through the land for people to come and hear about the Word. So they didn't make the temple sacrifices there, but they heard about the Word of God. It was expounded on and taught and able for community to form in Israel all through the land as the land had been broken again into captivity. But they're at one of these synagogues. And in this account, they're testifying in Antioch, this city, this, this area. And he and Barnabas are asked by them eventually to, do you have anything for us? Paul, you, you learned, trained Jewish man, trained in the Hebrew Scriptures. Do you and Barnabas have anything for us? Listen to what he says about the Exodus. From the curses of God upon Egypt, he brings salvation not only to the Jewish people and deliverance, but he will bring salvation to these Jewish people as they understand the story of redemption that leads to the cross of Christ. Listen to this. Listen to what he says. This is too good. Acts 13, verse 16. So Paul stood up, emotioning with his hands. He said, men of Israel, and you who feared God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. And of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not He. No. But behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm, I'm unworthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, 
To us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize Him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him. And though they found in Him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have Him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of Him, they took Him down from the tree and they laid Him in a tomb. But God raised Him from the dead. And for many days He appeared to those who had come up with Him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now His witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, listen, this He has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. After He gets done speaking, the people are shocked. They're stunned. They say, Paul Barnabas, can you come back again next Sabbath and teach us more of this? And they came back and they taught, and the text said, as many as the Lord appointed to eternal life, they believed. God is so great, listen, that in His blessings and cursings, He works out a merciful and gracious salvation with people in mind 1,500 years left yet to be born. Is that God so great He's worthy of your sin? Entrust it to Him. Is that God so great He's worthy of your anxieties and stresses this morning? The pressures of your life? He's worthy of our daily trust and He's worthy of our very purpose to know Jesus Christ and to make Him known. To make disciples until our final breath. Because He's worthy. He's greater than we can ever imagine. When we sing and worship, and we'll have our closing song of worship in just a moment, we can never sing with enough joy and worthy hearts of the Lord. We cannot overstate the greatness of our God. And in texts like these, when we see His providential kindness and mercy and His faithfulness to keep His Word, His people are settled to rest in the hands of God and to set our hearts to do the work He set before us in response to His Word. Amen? Amen. He's worthy of our praise. This leads us to our next steps. Three components, the first of which I want to encourage you to discuss on the way home. And if you're going home by yourself, if you have a small group, I encourage you to be involved with a small group. Get in contact with a small group. Pastor Brad in the foyer would love to connect you with a small group. But I want you to discuss the question before you that's listed in the first one. Which of these most resonates with your heart? Is it shock or is it marveling? The shock says, how could God bring death and judgment to the world? And they use examples that we see in the Garden of Eden. I mean, He just ate from a fruit. I mean, couldn't He get over it? But He's going to bring death to all the world? You read of Noah, and yes, the people, it says, did wickedness in the sight of God always, but did you really have to kill everyone with the flood? We read here of the judgment of God upon Egypt, and we say, that seems excessive. And then we keep reading Scripture, and we see of the future judgment of God, that every knee will bow. Just as He told Moses the knees in Egypt of His servants would bow before Moses, so too every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. For the Lord will bring all things into the light. Every person 
will give an account and we will all come short of His glory. Does that word meet you with shock? Or does it meet you this morning with marveling? That God works in a broken world and broken creation with broken relationships. And to all who trust in Jesus, find the grace and the mercy of God's kindness, the love of God, that He would lay His life down for us. Providentially working purposes will never grasp entirely on this earth. To marvel or to shock. Second, would you commit yourself to a group devoted to His Word? One of the beauties of being involved with a small group or a, a women's study group or a men's huddle group is that you have people in your life that are close enough that you can encourage them to walk out the faith. We all need encouragement. What we see in this account of God giving His Word to encourage His people to do what for them was a very anxious, frightening task to knock on the door and to ask. Every one of us has things in front of us this week as believers that are giving us a little stress to speak of Christ, to share Christ, to forgive even and give us stress to think about. And yet the Lord uses us to encourage each other by His Word to trust God and to act. So if you, have, if you don't have a small group, get involved with one. If you do have a small group, if you have people that you know in the faith, would you ask God for an opportunity to encourage somebody in our congregation, or it could be outside of our congregation as a believer, reach out to them and give them a word of encouragement this week. And trust that it's not by accident. And third, knowing God always keeps His Word how do the words of Jesus meet you this morning? That He will lose no person for whom the Father has entrusted into His hand. But He will raise us up on the last day. Perhaps you come this morning clinging to the fingernail of the Lord. And you hear Jesus' faithful word, the God who always keeps His promises. That He will never leave you and never forsake you. That He will raise you up on the last day. Is He worthy of our life? At the end of this service, we'll have leaders up here to pray for you and encourage you. It is good to go to the house of the Lord together. Amen? He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our song. Would you stand with me, church family, as we sing in response to the word of the God?